Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. I mean, if you examine your life, perhaps you're a worrier today. That undermines faith. Perhaps you're fretting today. That undermines your faith. Maybe you've been overcome with anger today. It undermines your faith because your faith and what you believe dictates how you behave. So faith needs to be toward a holy and a righteous God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my prayers. That you would bear my cross. You It's time for Abounding Grace, a ministry of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Pastor Ed Taylor is going through Hebrews at the present time, and we'll join him in chapter 6 in just a second. When you first started off in school, you were taught your ABCs. The teacher didn't try to teach you calculus or advanced English literature right out of the gate in kindergarten. Well, in our spiritual lives, it's also necessary to get our ABCs down before we go on to maturity. And today, we'll set out to understand some of the ABCs of the faith. Here's our teacher, Pastor Ed. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 6 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Understanding Some of the ABCs of the Faith. Now, the word controversy means a heated or a prolonged disagreement. And that pretty much sums up chapter 6 of Hebrews. It has been and continues to be a source of great controversy, this section of the Bible. And what I've learned is that key ingredients can be missed when people choose to argue instead of receive. And disagreements get elevated when, as disagreements get elevated, then understanding starts to lower and starts to go downward. And no doubt, on the list of the top five difficult passages in the Bible, this one has to be on that list. Now, today, we aren't actually going to deal with the controversy. We're going to take the first few verses and build on as we'll get there next week and next time. But for now, I think it's important for us to be reminded what a shame it is to be trapped into arguing over the Bible instead of worshiping the author and being enamored by the majesty of God. And, you know, if we understood everything there was to understand about God, then we would be God. But one of the first things you learn in life is, you are not God. Anybody amen that? I'm grateful that I'm not God for a variety of reasons. But I know who I am, and I know who God is, and how he reveals himself in the scriptures. And standing firm in the faith for sure but never veering away from worship and adoration. Now remember, this section of Hebrews is, the context is spiritual maturity. That's what we learned last time. Come back to chapter 5 with me and pick up in verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, notice, the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. The spiritual maturity of the Hebrew Christians 
is not as advanced as it should be. They aren't as far as they should be, and as a result, they want to go backwards. They want to go back to Judaism. You see, when you were saved, when I was born again, that began the spiritual growth process. We all need to grow up. We all need to make progress. Spiritual maturity is expected. Just as in the physical realm, when a baby is born, a baby naturally grows up into maturity, so it's true in the spiritual realm. When you and I were born again, no matter what age we are, spiritually, we became an infant. And there is that expectation for spiritual infants to grow up. And you don't want to come to a place in your life where it's, you're being told, by now you should be teaching these things to other people, but instead you're wanting to go backwards. And it is possible for us not only to stop moving forward, but to start going backward. And that's exactly where the Christian believers are, these Christian Hebrews are in this section of Hebrews. They're being rebuked, as it says in chapter 5, verse 12, for needing milk and not solid food. So let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ... Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. It's time to move forward. It's time to move forward. He says, therefore, which remember is always a connecting word. And therefore, we always have to ask the question, what is it there for? And we come back to chapter 5, and he says in verse 14, solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those by, by, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, it's time to leave this discussion of the basic things and move on if God permits Notice in verse 1 the word perfection. You might want to circle that word. It's the same theme. It literally means mature. It means completion. The one who reaches a goal. And so the instruction here is to get their eyes back on the finish line and the race that they're running going forward. So let's leave the basic things and let's move forward to the deeper things, to those things that remember of Jesus' ministry in heaven as the, our eternal, compassionate high priest. And I believe that's a word from the Lord for some of you. You need to get your eyes back on the finish line and remember that you're in a race and that this race is run to be won and to be finished. And perhaps you have fallen to the wayside over time. And it's not just merely you neglecting the basics. It's you neglecting everything related to Jesus Christ. And our eyes would be back to perfection or completion. Paul wants us to learn these six foundational truths. They're not exclusive. There are many foundational truths, but there are six mentioned here. Because if we're going to make progress and leave childish things behind, then we need to learn our ABCs. And why do we learn ABCs? But to learn how to communicate. You learn the alphabet to put words together. Words to put sentences together so that we can learn to grow in our relationship with one another. That's one of the first things that a missionary will do when even as they're preparing to go to another country in order to take the gospel to them, they'll start preparing by learning the language of that country. And isn't it important for us to understand the language of God, to put the ABCs together so that we might put words together and sentences together and grow in our relationship with God? 
It's his work in us, the hope of glory, his strength. And even as we're learning these things, we can't forget that it's the work of God in us. It's his work. It's God that enables us by his grace to make progress. You may hear these practical Bible studies and think, well, I better get busy and and I better start working harder and I better start doing more when all the while God is simply asking you to surrender to him, to learn the abiding relationship that's yours in Christ Jesus, that the responsibility is not to weigh you down, but rather to lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us so we can run our race with joy, the joy everlasting. And so it's God that works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So let's look now at six of these foundational things that are laid out for us as elementary principles that we all should know. Number one is here in the foundation, it says in verse one, the foundation of repentance from dead works. Every believer should understand repentance. It is the very gateway to salvation. Recognizing your sin against a holy and a righteous God and choosing to repent. Now the Greek word there for repent is metanoia and it literally means a changing of the mind. That's what repentance means. I've changed my mind about the subject. Or better put, repentance speaks of going in one direction and then turning around and going the exact opposite. That's repentance. It's, it's a pivot where you say, you know, I used to live my life this way. Now through repentance, I'm going to live my life for the glory of God. And he says, repentance from dead works. Well, what are dead works? Well, dead works refers to any work that you or I do that we believe will save us or keep us saved. Don't forget, these Hebrew believers are wanting to go back to Judaism back to the formalism of works. They want to go back to a place where sacrifices and rituals and ceremonies will be a big part of their life that they would then depend upon in being right with God. And yet every ritual, every ceremony, everything listed in the Old Testament pointed to who? Jesus Christ, the fulfillment, which this whole sense of going backwards doesn't make sense. It doesn't make logical sense. It doesn't make biblical sense. Because even if they were to go back to Judaism, what would Judaism teach them? To look for the coming Messiah, to which they would learn Messiah has come, that they would embrace him as he's fulfilled the law. And so they are caught up in their spiritual maturity of looking backwards, which really isn't going backwards at all. You see, repentance is that turning away from sin and turning toward God, going in the opposite direction. It is a key ingredient in preaching the gospel. You'll recall in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you know when Jesus Christ came and began his earthly ministry? You know what his ministry was? Listen, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You fast forward into Revelation, and he's speaking to the church in Ephesus that had left their first love. And what was Jesus preaching to the church in Ephesus? Remember from where you have fallen? Repent and repeat the first works. Repentance is key in our lives. We need to continue to see those areas in our lives that we must turn away from and turn back to the things of God. Not trusting in dead works. Works that will not save that cannot save, that will not save. 
There's that need for us to know today that you cannot earn or work for your salvation. It is yours and mine by faith. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches in Isaiah, trot it down, Isaiah 64, verse 6. This is what the Bible has to say about our good deeds, our good works. It says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses, all our good works, everything that we do that's right are like filthy rags, and we all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. It's not our good works, but rather the good work and finished work of Jesus Christ. That's a foundational truth, to learn what repentance is and to stay away from dead works. Now, the second thing that we learn as a foundation in our faith is in verse one at the end, faith toward God. Repentance is met with faith, faith toward God. You see, the value of what we believe in is only as significant as the object of our faith. And so he's very clear. Your faith is toward God, your creator. It's not faith in a doctrine, not faith in a church, not faith in a movement, but faith toward God. Our lives were forever changed and are forever changed by faith. And lest anyone try to fool you, everybody believes in something. Everybody has a belief system. Everybody has a filter by which they react and deal with things in this world. You might even refer to that today as a worldview. Every single person has a worldview. And there's really only two worldviews. One that is God-centered and one that is man-centered. That's it. There's no third option. And so, a foundational truth for you and I to know is our faith is toward God. The word faith simply means trust or to have a firm conviction, a belief in the truth. And the key to life is faith, learning how to trust God and obey. And we've learned one of the two most important things for you and I to grasp in life is to learn to surrender and obey. That's our response. Our response to God's word is to trust him and obey him. That's our response. That we would follow through with what we learn. Faith, trust, believing is so key. We're to get past these things and grow up in our faith. God, the Bible says that God has given to everyone a measure of faith. And we're to build that faith like a muscle, acting on it regularly. I mean, if you examine your life, Perhaps you're a worrier today, that undermines faith. Perhaps you're fretting today, that undermines your faith. Maybe you've been overcome with anger today. It undermines your faith because your faith and what you believe dictates how you behave. So faith needs to be toward a holy and a righteous God. We're to look to God for his approval. We're to trust God, to believe him for our life to hold fast to him in our difficulties. You see, once we've placed our faith in Jesus to save us, we're to grow into deeper areas of faith, trusting God at every new turn, which makes our lives very glorious and fruitful. That's a foundational principle that they're stuck on, and it's time to move forward. Trust God and take a step of faith. Thirdly, notice in verse 2, the third foundational thing is the doctrine of baptisms. Mark that S. If you didn't notice it before, there's an S at the end, baptisms in the plural. Now, some of you, when you think of baptism, you think of one thing, water baptism. 
But there are actually three significant baptisms in the Bible. The first one is baptism into the family of God. Now, before we get to that for a moment, let's define the word baptism. The word baptism is a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo, and it literally means to be submerged or to go completely under. The greatest picture from the ancient Greece, from the ancient Greek language, is actually this picture of taking a garment, let's say a white garment, and having a bucket of dye, and you would baptize that garment. So the idea is that that white garment would go under the purple dye and come back up a completely different color than it went in because it was completely submerged. And so the first baptism that's mentioned in the scriptures is actually not water baptism, but being baptized into the family of God. Jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 13, I'll read it to you. It says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. This happens when you're born again. You are immediately brought into the family of God. You are immediately submerged into a brand new family. So that not only do you have a physical bloodline family, but you also have a spiritual line family that the Spirit of God dwells in us. You know, just a few hours ago, just a few hours ago, this room was completely empty and dark. There was nobody in it. And yet, as time came in 845, you know, 830 we're here, people started streaming in. Now we're in this service, people are streaming in. People started listening on the radio, watching online. You all came into this room. But this room doesn't make you a believer. Just being in this room within these walls or downstairs in the cafe area or in the overflow, that, that doesn't make you a Christian. You are, when you were born again, spiritual life was put into you and you were baptized or submerged into the family of God. And that's an important truth to understand. You became, he uses the word completely submerged. You became an immediate part of the family of God. And you know what I've found over the years? I have found that as close as some of my bloodline family is, I find that there's a close kinship among the spiritual family of God. It doesn't matter where I travel. It doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter what language we speak. There is a spiritual language that connects us in Jesus Christ. And I know from some of your testimonies that your relationship with believers is actually deeper and closer than your bloodline relationships. Because that's the, God, that's the way God, he brought you in. That's one of the baptisms you need to recognize. Secondly, there is water baptism. We're all familiar with that. Water baptism. Water baptism is our obedient act of identifying with the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as I've shared before, water baptism is a gospel presentation to the eye. Whereas most of the time we share the gospel verbally because faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word of God, water baptism is actually a picture of the gospel visually because it is the act of a person, of a believer, a Christian that has already been baptized in the family of God spiritually. It is an outward act of obedience for a Christian to identify with the finished work of Jesus Christ. And here's a summary. The water represents death. So that when you come in, maybe we have them set up here and you come into the troughs, the water holding tanks here, and you're walking into the water of death or we're out at the reservoir or back in California, we used to baptize at the beach. You walk into the waters of death, identifying with the life and the death of Jesus Christ. Then we pray over you and you hold your nose and we take you all the way under the water. 
Now, most of you, we bring right back up. Some, you got to stay down for a while, <laughs> washing away, but we bring you right back up. And as you go down under the waters of death, you're being buried. The old man's being buried with Christ. And then when you come back up, that represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the newness of your life. And you're doing that in open identification with everyone that's watching. And water baptism is important. It's not something that's done passively. And it's not something that's done religiously. It is an outward act of obedience for a true believer in Jesus Christ. That's why infant baptism, not only is it not taught in the scriptures, it doesn't really represent the biblical teaching of water baptism. And so every true believer, even if you were baptized as an infant, need to walk in obedience and be baptized as a believer, not passively, but actively. The scripture for this is Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, preach the gospel, people get saved, and then those people are to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're enjoying a study in Hebrews here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and also through the Calvary Church app. So, Pastor Ed, as you know, there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to baptism. You've touched on some of them already. Now, some are under the impression that water baptism is necessary to be saved. But is that taught anywhere in the Bible? Well, it's not taught anywhere in the Scriptures, although there are a couple of passages that someone that believes that will take you to and say, see, it's right here. Let me take you to one uh, right now in Acts chapter 2 in verse 38. It says, Peter said to them, Acts 2.38, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, at first read, that sounds in the English language like you will be baptized, and the remission of sins is why for the remission of sins. But, you know, that word for, it could be causative or it can be resultant. Uh, here, this is a resultant use of it, not causative. Like, water baptism doesn't cause your salvation. Water baptism is a result. Only believers are water baptized. And we use this word all the time. For example, if we were giving a medal of honor to a soldier for her bravery, we could say that we award you this medal for your bravery. Now, the medal doesn't give to her any new bravery. We're actually, medal is honoring bravery that's already occurred. And so we say, here, take this medal for your bravery. It doesn't mean the medal is going to give her bravery. It means we're going to honor her for what happened in the past. That's, what, that's what's being said here. Uh, and you can look in chapter 10. Let me just read it to you real quick. I know we don't have a lot of time because we just did a whole Bible study, but I love this kind of stuff because the Bible is often misused and misunderstood. In Acts chapter 10, in verse 43, we see here Peter teaching, and he says, To him all the prophets witness that through his name, speaking of Jesus, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. 
And so Peter, who was speaking in Acts 2.38, now is speaking in Acts chapter 10 when it comes to Cornelius, and he's saying, hey, look, the only thing that's needed for remission of sins is belief, not water baptism. You can make a whole biblical case. Uh, we, don't, we aren't saved by our works, and baptism is a work of righteousness. We're not saved by workers of righteousness. That's the simple answer, and a little bit more information on that. But let's respond by faith and trust God. He's the author and the finisher, and I am grateful that my salvation is not dependent upon my good works. Aren't you? God bless you. That is very helpful. Thanks again, Ed. Thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Skip Heitzig's book, How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. Maybe you're not getting a lot out of your time in the Word these days, or you're unsure how to go about it. Allow Pastor Skip to help you through this wonderful book. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.